Hey, today, um, I'm with you today. Isn't that great? So, hey, yeah. Um, oftentimes, I'm teaching kids' church or playing the drums or whatever, but today I get to, to teach the sermon. So, um, so, kids, you are dismissed. Get out of here. Let's go. <laughs> Miss Stephanie has something great planned for you this morning. All right, well, hey, as they're on their way out, this is a picture of my family. Tiffany and I have been married for over 23 years. She's um, the one singing on stage here all the time. She's amazing. Um, And then we have three kids. Jeremy is 16, Drew is 13, and Ellie is 10. So there's my family, in case you haven't quite put them all together before. So I'm glad to be here with you today. Uh, this, is, this is fun for me because, um, uh, like I said, I'm usually with the kiddos, and so this is just something, something different, something awesome. And uh, you know what? Whether you're, uh, you've been here a couple times or a thousand times, welcome to you. And welcome to those of you online as well. I miss the, the sermons because I'm with, with the kids all the time, so I get to, to watch the service online as well, so I appreciate it being streamed. One of TV's most popular reality shows is The Amazing Race. Have you guys watched it? You guys watched The Amazing Race? Yeah, it's it's super fun, super fun to watch. Season 35 is about to kick off towards the end of this month. So the way it works is there's 13 pairs, 13 teams, and they go, they travel all over the world doing these crazy competitions. Some of them are like real brainy competitions, some are real athletic, others are like these puzzles they have to put together, but no matter what, they have to navigate where they're going, right, which is a huge part of the amazing race. They're racing to win the $1 million grand prize. There's always such a variety of contestants from all sorts of backgrounds and opinions and strengths. I like watching stuff like like this because it makes me think through leadership, makes me think of, okay, how did that person succeed or how did that team succeed? How did they fail? What broke down? What, What worked? What didn't? And it's just kind of interesting to learn from as well. But my wife and I like watching it, so I'm sure we'll watch this season as well. Well, our, our questions for today are, uh, we're going to see in our, in our chapter of Scripture today a bit of an amazing race as well. Why was Paul on his amazing race? Paul was on this crazy amazing race. Why was he on it? Why did Paul travel all over the place, speaking everywhere? Why was Paul on his amazing race, amazing race all the time? Well, we're going to answer those questions today, and actually the answer to all those questions is the same. It's the same answer, you'll see. Well, last week, Pastor Steve, the steel man, Stelio, he he taught us, he went over chapter 19, in which Paul began what we call his third missionary journey, in which he began in Ephesus, and his ultimate goal was to get to Rome, which we'll see weeks later on down the road towards the end of Acts. He wanted to get to Rome. Ephesus was this large, beautiful city. Isn't that beautiful? Don't you want to go there? It had a port with a lot of trading of goods. Uh, Ephesus prided itself in three huge temples that with the primary, with the worship of the, of the emperor, the primary temple being that of Artemis, which is a goddess they worshiped, but of course is only a false god. It's just demonic, really. Remember, there was a scary moment in which a silversmith named Demetrius, D-Dog, caused such a fuss about how Paul's message of the gospel was resulting in the loss of income because they would make jewelry for temple worship, they would make lots of money from it, but Christianity became more, became a thing, right? And so they would have less income. And so they were not happy about that. 
So what they did was uh, Demetrius decided to cause a little bit of a fuss, caused a riot. And, um, and so that's, this, this is the theater in Ephesus where this riot kind of happened. And so most of the people that were entering this theater didn't even know why they were there. Just like, oh, there's excitement going on. Let's go see what's happening. Gaius and Aristarchus, some of Paul's peeps, were dragged into that theater. And Paul would have been as well, but he was protected. Luckily, the city mayor spoke up, saying that there's no legal grounds to accuse them since they're not doing anything, uh, not saying anything bad against Artemis. They're not robbing anybody, stuff like that. The pattern with Paul seems to be he travels and he preaches. There's opposition and then there's a little bit of fruit. Travel, preach, opposition, and a little bit of fruit over and over and over again. That's Paul. That seems to be how it is with Paul. We are going to see today that Paul continues to race through many towns of Macedonia and Greece. And we'll also see that on one night, there was quite a bit of excitement that happened during one of the worship services that hopefully won't happen here today, uh, where Paul had to race downstairs to save someone's life. And then we're going to see that Paul races back to Ephesus, where he has a, a farewell speech to the Ephesian elders, telling them that they must finish the race. So please open your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. I hope you brought your Bible today. If you were in kids' church, you would get a Bible prize at the end of the service, but we're not in kids' church, and so um, your rewards are in heaven. It just <laughs> makes sense. There's Bibles in front of your seats there, and there's also the wonderful Bible app on your phone. So there's no excuses. Open your Bible. Acts chapter 20. Here we go. These first several verses talk about Paul's travel and racing all around Macedonia and Greece. Let's look at this together. Acts 20, verse 1. When the uproar had ended, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, said goodbye and set out for Macedonia. He traveled through that area, speaking many words of encouragement to the people, and finally arrived in Greece, where he stayed three months. Because some Jews had plotted against him, just as he was about to sail for Syria, he decided to go back through Macedonia. Very smart of him. He was accompanied by Sopater, son of Pyrrhus from Berea, Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derby, Timothy also, Antichicus and Trophimus from the province of Asia. Those are tough names, people. <laughs> these, these men went on ahead and waited for us at Troas. But we sailed from Philippi, after the festival of unleavened bread, and five days later joined the others at Troas, where we stayed seven days. Paul traveled throughout Macedonia, speaking the words, speaking words of encouragement. So there's your first fill in the blank. If you're taking sermon notes, there you go. Speaking words of encouragement. Probably revisiting churches that he had planted during his second missionary journey in places such as Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea. The time span of the one little sentence of verse two is one and a half years. He spent one and a half years. You see the middle part where it says Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, Corinth, that he was traveling around that area for a year and a half, encouraging. You get the, get the picture there? Once he arrived in Greece, which is most likely the specific city of Corinth, which you can see is the, the bottom city of the, the middle area there, he stayed there for three months to revisit the church there. He was, this was during the winter months, either late 
A.D. 56 or early A.D. 57. Sometime during these three months in Corinth, he wrote his letter to the Romans. I just love that. You always wonder when Paul wrote his, his letters to the different churches, right? Well, he was in Corinth during the winter, and he probably had a little extra time and busted out what's probably his greatest letter and what some consider the most important book in the entire Bible, Romans. During so much of Paul's previous traveling, he added some amazing men to his amazing race who would join him in his mission. And I call them the Magnificent Ten. The Magnificent Ten. Achaia is missing from the list that I had read a little bit ago, but could be represented by Paul himself or by Titus. Remember, Gaius and Aristarchus were the ones dragged into the theater in chapter 19. Well, they're in this list, right? Take the seven names in this list, add Luke, because we know he's there, and add Titus. We know he was there from other verses. So Paul was traveling with at least nine men. All right, add Paul in there, and you have the Magnificent Ten. Now, the Bible doesn't call them that, I just do, because why not, you know? So, uh, they're just regular dudes who have a big heart for the Lord and, and love people. So, this is, this is Paul's group he's traveling with. These men were certainly fruit of Paul's faithful missions work and are now the agents of the mission alongside Paul. Isn't that neat? Paul worked hard, gathered these guys, and now they're in it together to do amazing things for the Lord. If you look at verse 5 again, it, verse 5 picks up the we sections of Luke's writing in Acts here. So Luke is now back with them again. He was not with them for a little while. Now he's back traveling with them. It was last, the we sections was, was last seen in Acts 16.12. All right, the magnificent ten traveled to Troas and take part in a rather exciting worship service. Let's see what happened here. I know you're dying to know here. So uh, verse 7. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. Seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man, and put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. Then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. After talking until daylight, he left. The people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. The first day of the week mentioned here refers to Sunday. So verse 7 here is the earliest clear evidence that we have that the Christians of the early church met on Sundays as their worship day, whereas before it was, it was on Saturdays. They most likely changed this because of the resurrection of Jesus happened on a Sunday. Kind of cool, right? On Sunday, they came together to break bread. So those are your next one. Came together to break bread. Now, breaking bread refers to a couple things. Um, the Lord's Supper, communion, you know, with the bread and the juice or wine, and also they had dinner together. So that's always awesome. We love dinner, don't we? Yeah. <laughs> we love dinner. So they were breaking bread. Once Paul was planning on leaving, since, pl- since Paul was planning on leaving the next day, he sure had a lot to say. He went on and on and on, kind of like Glenn and Steve. 
I'm just joking. I'm just joking. They're not here, so I have to make fun of them a little bit, right? (laughs) So Paul went on and on and on and kept talking until midnight. Their church services began at sundown because people would have to work during the day, and then they could finally get together at night. So even on Sundays, that was the case. Since it was dark outside, there were lamps and torches in this upstairs room, and Eutychus, being a young man, probably from the language used here by Luke, was between around ages 8 to 14. Luke maybe wasn't exactly sure how old he was. He was getting real sleepy. He tried so hard to stay awake by sitting in the window where he could get some fresh air, away from the, 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 the smelly, oiliness of the lamps and torches and stuff that were in that room. I think he was so hungry for God's word that he did everything in his power to stay awake and to listen to Paul and listen to this discussion. But he fell. He fell from the third story of this building and was picked up dead. Now remember, Luke is a doctor. So if he says the boy's dead here, he's dead. Luke was probably the one to run down and check him out first, confident that if anyone could help, it was him as the doctor. And then Paul raced down to save Eutychus' life as soon as he understood what had happened. And, and Paul did some pretty extreme CPR here. It says Paul threw himself on the young man. He's like, look out guys, I'm coming in hot. Threw himself on Eutychus and Wow, it's, I mean, that's very much like the, that's in the style of Elijah and Elisha many years before. They kind of did something similar to revive somebody, to raise somebody back from the dead. The word used here is to fall upon. The boy fell on the ground. Paul fell on the boy and puts his arms around him and revives Eutychus knowing that the power of God is limitless and able to even raise the dead. Amen? I can hear Paul saying to Eutychus, today's not your day, not your last day, buddy. God's going to do great things through you, and he's not done with you yet. Paul announces that the boy's alive. He's alive. He's miraculously fine. And then they all went back upstairs and, and ate dinner, and then Paul talked until daylight. You know, no big deal. No big deal. <laughs> the word used for talking here is dialegomai. Kind of sounds like dialogue. And refers to discussion with, with question and answer. So it wasn't like Paul was just doing a, a monologue and talking the entire time. It was maybe think of like a huge community group where there's discussion, Q&A. Uh, obviously, Paul was talking a ton and, and we would be just glued into him, right? Well, the Magnificent Nine go on ahead without Paul and sail to Asos. Let's look at verse 13. Verse 13. We went on ahead to the ship and sailed for Asos, where we were going to take Paul aboard. Remember, we, as uh, Luke is writing this, so he's there, he's with them, all that. Paul wanted to walk to Asos by himself. Walk to Asos by himself. He wanted a little, little time out. In racing terms, a little pit stop. You know, a little, little refuel in here. This is about a 20-mile walk, which would certainly be a good day's walk. Now, why would Paul want to be by himself for the whole day? Why would he want to take this journey by himself? Paul always travels with people. He always wants companionship. He wants, he's, he's mindful of discipleship. 
he wants to put into people. He needed the protection that accompaniment provided, but he wanted to spend a day alone. He had just traveled for many years, years and years, preaching and and telling people about the good news of Jesus and experiencing dangerous encounters and opposition. He was told often that danger lurks for him. I think he just wants to find some peace and rest in the Lord. Just a little time with the Lord. As he reflects back on his ministry and looks forward to traveling to Jerusalem and to eventually get to Rome, I imagine as he was walking, he was praising God for what God was doing and asking for God's protection, asking for his blessing on Eutychus, who he had just revived and raised back from the dead, praying for so many other people, asking that God would would help people to see that these false gods and goddesses are not helpful to them and that they need to turn to Jesus. I can hear him singing praise songs as he walks along. There's nothing better than you. Right? He's singing something. He's singing to the Lord. I know he was. He probably asked God for boldness and perseverance for the many trials that he knew he would face. Do you take time out to find some peace and rest in the Lord? We need, we need to. We need it. We got to make that time. A little time in order to reflect on the past and to find strength for the future. Once Paul met up with his team, they kept traveling. Look at verse 14. Verse 14. When he met us at Asos, we, we took him aboard and went to Mytilene. The next day we set sail from there and arrived off Chios. The day after that we crossed over to Samos and on the following day arrived at, at uh, Miletus. Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia, for he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem, if possible, by the day of Pentecost. Oh, so one day he takes some time out, spends some extra time by himself with the Lord. Now he's in a hurry. Well, he also knew when the ship was going to set sail and that he could spend that time, but now he's in a hurry to get to Jerusalem. He was trying to get there by the day of Pentecost. Now, now why was, really, why was he in a hurry? So he was with the Magnificent Nine, right? Remember, as representatives from um, all those different regions that I had pointed out on the map. All those different regions, all those different churches, all those guys. And it's very likely that they had offerings. So they had money on them to bring to Jerusalem to bless the poor churches in Jerusalem. So for one thing, they had a lot of money on them. And also, they wanted to bless those people, So they were excited about it. Paul wanted to get there. He was in a hurry. Don't stop me. Then Paul travels back to Ephesus where he has a farewell speech to the Ephesian elders. Verses 17 through the rest of our chapter today is Paul's farewell speech to the Ephesian church leadership. It's kind of like his last will and testament to them. This speech is very different from the other speeches in Acts because this speech is directed towards Christians, whereas all of his other speeches are directed towards non-Christians. They're evangelistic. So this one kind of is different. It's like his, it's it's kind of like, it sounds like his letters that he wrote to the churches. So let's check this out. Verse 17. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. 
Now let's stop there. From Miletus, Paul sent a message to the elders of the church in Ephesus so they would be ready to meet him when he arrived. He's, he's efficient. He's like, let's meet me. Be, let's be there. Let's, let's get together. In this speech, we will see that Paul addresses the church leadership as elders and as shepherds or pastors and as overseers. It seems Paul is speaking to more than just one single group or board, but more, more to those who lead the church and shepherd the people. So in our understanding, that can mean people like our elder board, our pastors, and those who teach and oversee people, right? Paul defends the way that he lived the whole time he was with the Ephesian church, serving the Lord in, in great humility with tears in the midst of severe testing by plots from Jewish opponents. Let's see this in verse 18. Verse 18, when they arrived, he said to them, you know how I have lived the whole time I was with you from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly from house and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. Paul explains that he has preached everything that would be helpful to everyone, declaring to both Jews and Greeks, or Gentiles, another word, what must be done and that is turning to God in repentance and having faith in the Lord Jesus. Where was Paul in a hurry to get to, remember? He was in a hurry to get to Jerusalem. Paul explains his future plans that he is going to head to Jerusalem. Let's look at verse 22. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Wow. He explains that the Holy Spirit is warning him, likely through prophets, letting him know that prison and hardship are about to face him. But is Paul freaked out? No, he's not freaked out. He is willing to die for the cause of Christ. And he says that his life is worth nothing to him. That does not mean that he does not care about himself or does not love his own life. But rather the greatest thing that he can do is share about Jesus. No matter what it takes and no matter what that would mean for him. He's willing. Paul's only aim is to finish the race. His only aim is to finish the race, the race of the Christian life, and to complete the task the Lord Jesus has given him, which is to testify to the good news of God's grace. Wow. Dromos is the word used here for race. Dromos. Everybody say dromos. Oh, nice. So circle, highlight, underline, whatever, the word race in your Bible there. In verse 24, or some translations say course. This is a beautiful figure of speech for the race of the Christian life. We all like races, don't we? I, you know, whether it's running or car or boat or uh, the Olympics or the Amazing Race TV show, it's exciting. We can understand a race. I like racing too. When I was in high school, I, I ran track and field. That was super fun. 
Several years ago, I did a triathlon. It wasn't a very long triathlon, but nevertheless. And when I, when I can, I enjoy going to the Sacramento Raceway and racing my car, which is super fun, which, by the way, anybody can bring your car and truck and, and race there. It's, it's actually really cool. Raise your hand if you've been in any sort of a race or you have watched a race right in front of your eyes. Been in a race or watched a race? Yeah, tons, tons of us. We love races. Paul loved races. He used this metaphor all the time. He, he used it in so many of his letters. And you can see it in your notes or on the screen. 1 Corinthians 9, he talks about it. Galatians 5, Philippians 3, 2 Timothy 4, Hebrews 12. Paul uses this metaphor of the race of the Christian life because we get it. And I think the people back then got it for sure. I've titled this sermon The Amazing Race because of the word dromos and because this is Paul's only aim that we're talking about. He understands that the most important thing in life is to finish the race of the Christian life and to complete the task of sharing the gospel of Jesus with others. In other words, the most important thing is to know God and to make him known to others. Are you doing that? Am I doing that? I ask myself that all the time. Am I working hard to know God? Am I working hard to make Jesus known to others? I can think of a lot of other races that people are on and trying to accomplish. There are a lot of other tasks, a lot of other ultimate tasks that people focus on and try to accomplish. Having a a great career, making money, raising a family, having fun with hobbies, being entertained. And you know what? All of these things are great, and I work hard at accomplishing these things too. But Paul says for him, the greatest thing, his only aim is to finish the race of the Christian life, to follow God to the very end, and to share the gospel with others. Now, shouldn't that be our aim as well? Our greatest goal, our our deepest mission, our intense focus, it really should be. That doesn't mean that you have to change your career or travel all over the place like Paul did. But in your workplace, on your street, in your neighborhood, in the places that you shop, where you go for entertainment, in your own church, and definitely in your home, point people to Jesus. Whether you're extroverted like Paul or introverted and some of this might freak you out, you know what? There are ways to share Jesus with people according to how God made you. Lots of different ways. Be creative. Don't, you don't have to be like Paul and be like a super outgoing and extroverted and travel everywhere and be this amazing writer and all this kind of stuff. Be who God made you to be and share Jesus that way. <clears throat> So back to our main questions, what was Paul's amazing race, his only aim, his goal, his purpose? Why did Paul travel all over the place and speak so much? Why was he on this amazing race all the time? And the answer is the same to all these questions. To finish the race of the Christian life and to share the good news of Jesus with as many people as possible. That's what he was all about. Paul says that since he is going away, people will not see him again. And since he has taught them everything, he is innocent of their own decisions for Christ. Let's look at verse 25. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone, excuse me, whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. That's sad. 
Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim the whole will of God. Paul has ex- explained the full will of God to them and exactly all they, that they need to know to live out the Christian life. He feels confident of that. He's like, I kind of wash my hands of this. You know, I've done my part. You got to do your part. He warns now that there will be future trials from savage wolves and so that they better keep watch. Verse 28. Let's look at that together. Verse 28. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you day and night with tears. He leaves the Ephesian church leadership important instructions to keep watch over two different things. First of all, keep watch over, your, over themselves. Guarding your own hearts, following Christ to the best of your ability, spend time with the Lord, soak up the word, take care of yourself, right? Watch over yourself. And then secondly, he says to keep watch over all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed them overseers. We see the Trinity clearly in verse 28. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God as three persons, always coexisting at the same time. Verse 28 says, Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Or it could be translated, or the blood of his own, referring to the Son referring clearly to the blood of Jesus on the, on the cross. And it's the Holy Spirit who has made them overseers. Oftentimes, when the name God is written, it refers more specifically to God the Father. And that's the case here. So check this out. Verse 28 shows that the flock of sheep belong to God the Father, are purchased by the precious blood of God the Son, Jesus Christ, and are shepherded by overseers appointed by God the Holy Spirit. Underline, circle, highlight, Holy Spirit, God, and his own blood in your Bible there. Holy Spirit, God, and his own blood. I think it's always a good thing to mark up your Bible, make notes, and interact with it, and you can go back. You'd be like, oh, I studied this before. It's so cool. But Paul warns that even from within their own number, their own people that they are trusting, will arise certain people who, would, who will distort the truth and try to, to draw people away from the truth and away from the church leadership and to follow after themselves. And he calls these people savage wolves. They were definitely aware of wolves in that area, I think as we are too, which were the main enemy of, of sheep. Shepherds of the flock of Jesus were to feed the sheep the truth of God and to protect the, the sheep from the wolves, which in this case is false doctrine. There are savage wolves in our town too. Yeah, it's true. There's savage wolves in our town too. We will know them by how they distort the truth and draw people away from Jesus and away from the Bible. It is a difficult balance for, for pastors since in, in our culture we are all taught to be very accepting and very agreeable. 
The problem is if we are accepting of all ways, being truth and false doctrine, then we are all in trouble whether we like it or not. We are to love and accept everyone, right? But that's different, with, that's different than agreeing with and accepting teachings that are in essence against Jesus and the Bible. So my friends, if you hear us fighting back on certain issues or morals or things that, that people believe, seek the truth we are telling you from God's word. We are only trying to protect you on the church. Can you think of savage wolves that have drawn people away from Christianity? Certain false prophets who have said, hey, listen, listen to this. Come, come follow me. They can be very attractive in many ways. The devil will do anything to keep your focus off of Jesus and off the Bible. Anything. Doesn't matter. It looks so close to Christianity, but the most important things are different. Oh, you got to work your way to heaven. Jesus is, you know, Jesus, you know. The, oh man, it's scary. So be on your guard. If a, a group starts to read something more often than the Bible or to read something other than the Bible as as like the thing to study, well, that's a huge red flag. If a person starts to draw you to themselves instead of, instead of towards Jesus, beware. Paul explains how hard he has worked and recommends that they do the same. Let's look at this in verse 32. Verse 32, Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified, I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul has not coveted anyone's possessions like money or clothing but rather has worked super hard to supply for his needs, his needs of his companions, largely through tent making. He made tents. That's kind of cool. In contrast, this is in contrast to a preacher who would go around speaking and then expect people to take care of him, expect people to give him money as support and stuff like that. Paul didn't do that. Then Paul finished, finished speaking and says his goodbyes. Verse 36. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. And all this leads us to, so what? Oh, good. You are all so well trained. (laughs) I love it. All right. So it's great how wonderful Paul is, right? And how he can do all this. And this speech was to the church leaders in Ephesus. You know, it's like, what do I do with this? What do I do with this? There are four things to keep in mind when you're in a race. Four things to keep in mind when you are in a race. Be willing to take risks. Be willing to take risks. See verse 24, the beginning of, of 24. It says, I consider myself worth nothing to me. Be willing to share the good news of Jesus at all costs. How can you develop this type of boldness and confidence? Can you trust God to use you to share the good news with others? Can you take that step of faith and take risks? 
diff- it's hard. It's difficult. The second thing to keep in mind during this race of the Christian life is it's important to finish, complete the race. It's important to finish or complete the race. See verse 24b, the second part of verse 24. It says, My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task of testifying to the good news of Jesus Christ's sacrifice for us. Don't give up. Complete. Finish. You might have hurdles and stuff along the way, but finish. God hasn't, hasn't given up on you. Follow Jesus to the end, to the very end. Okay, things to keep in mind when you're in a race. Living this Christian life. One, be willing to take risks. Two, finish or complete the race. And thirdly, you will have opposition. See verse 19, verse 23, verse 29. Paul was even warned that prison and hardships were coming. But he persevered. He embraced all that. He didn't get overly discouraged or frustrated. He didn't go you know, cry off to complain or whatever. He didn't let setbacks stop his mission. And aren't you and I glad that he didn't give up? Man, his, this stuff that he's written to these churches, they apply to us. They're amazing. We need, we need this writing. It's straight from the Holy Spirit. When I ran track in high school, I, I pulled my hamstring. I was out for two or three weeks healing. It was, I was, for a high school student, that's frustrating, right? I didn't really have any setbacks as I ran my triathlon, but it was just really tiring. If you've ever ran a long race like that. I haven't raced my car recently for a couple of reasons. Well, I really need new tires. They're kind of old and they don't really hook up well at the line. And it's kind of got this little fender issue because someone decided to back into it. But, you know, I can get it fixed in November. So it's got to have patience. So a little bit of setbacks, right? A little frustrating. But you know what? <clears throat> there is much bigger and more serious oppositions in, a, in the race of the Christian life than this. And we really need help from each other. We need to help each other follow Jesus. We need to encourage each other. Hey, have you been sharing your faith recently? Hey, are you growing in the Lord? We need to ask each other, uh, each other this kind of stuff. You know, even if you're not so great at it. <laughs> and just be like, okay, let's keep each other accountable. You know, this is a huge reason why we still meet on Sunday mornings. It's because we need to encourage each other. Hey, you getting to know Jesus better? You sharing your faith? Man, we should be asking that to each other every time we see each other, really. I need to get better about that too. Satan is hard at work and knows how to tempt us and trip us up. And we're living in this very godless world where following Jesus, Christianity is becoming less and less popular. It's not so popular with the majority. America's becoming more like Ephesus, like Rome, like Babylon. It just is. It's becoming harder to be a Christian. And God wants to use you to be a light in this very dark world. And lastly, during a race, there's urgency in the here and now. There's urgency in the here and now. Just in this chapter alone, we see Paul's urgency several times. Remember the church service where Paul preached all night because he was, it was the last time he was going to see those people? There was urgency in that. Have you ever regretted not speaking up about spiritual things to someone and then you never saw them again? Like, they, they leave and then you're like, oh, man, I should have said something. 
<laughs> I should have prayed for that person. But now I can't. They're gone. You know? Yeah, it's, I've been there too. If you, I think if you even have the thought of sharing something spiritual about God to someone, or you even have the thought to pray for someone, just do it. Just take those risks. Let's, let's be people of, of taking risks for Jesus. Also, in, the, in, the, in terms of the here and now, we saw in verse 16 that Paul was in a hurry to get to Jerusalem because he wanted to help the poor and encourage the people there. There's urgency there. In verses 20 and 27, Paul says that he has not hesitated to preach and proclaim to them about God. We have an extremely urgent message. Let's share it with urgency. Will you pray with me? Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you so much for your word. Thank you for Paul to write this stuff. Thank you for, for, for Luke to write this stuff down. And God, I, I ask for your help for myself and for all my friends here. We need your help, Lord, and your wisdom and your motivation and your boldness to share our faith. And we don't have to be perfect. We don't have to know everything about you. We don't have to have everything all together to share our faith. We just need to do it. God, help us to know you as best we can, to be honest during our journey, this race that we're on, and to share Jesus with as many people as possible. God, we love you, and we ask for your help in this. Holy Spirit, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen.